low win rates, excessive discounting, challenging negotiations. Welcome to the Sales Readiness Podcast, a podcast brought to you by the Sales Readiness Group. We're an industry-leading sales training company that helps businesses develop highly effective sales organizations. This podcast is about one question, how to transform your team into big performers. If you want the answer, keep listening. If you want it faster, visit salesreadinessgroup.com slash podcast. How much of your selling was virtual before COVID? So we're going to bring up that poll. You know, and I shared with you from our experience, you know, probably we weren't necessarily selling, but delivering skills training, probably 70% of what we were delivering was in a traditional classroom. And that just changed dramatically. So we were just wanted to kind of look at what's going on pre-COVID just to kind of gauge the audience. I mean, Ray, you've, you've lived through this a lot. I think you delivered our last instructor-led training session in Europe, and you saw things kind of turn on a dime. Any thoughts on that? Well, it is interesting because we refer back to that. And, and I remember flying back from Amsterdam. This was the very end of February. And just, you know, reading the news, kind of seeing how things were changing in the airports and uh, and the vibe that was going on there and thinking, wow, this is going to be really interesting to see uh, how this evolves. And in fact, that that was the last, uh, you know, kind of ILT or in-person training. Now, we've subsequently uh, been extremely busy delivering on-demand, virtual, and what we call this uh, online collaborative learning platform, which has been exciting. Uh, but I think we've seen that with our customers too. So, so Norman, you know, by a pretty large degree, um, you know, it looked like, uh, well, actually it's split between uh, virtual and those who were not. So if we think about those, um, about 36% said they were doing no virtual at all. And 39% 20, were doing about 25% virtual. So about a quarter of that. Um, so, you know, adding that together, that's uh, 75%, I think we're, we're doing, I'd say little or no virtual um, you know, versus kind of an all virtual environment. Curious how that resonates with uh, kind of what you would expect and, you know, what we've seen from some of our other clients. I, I think it's pretty consistent. I think the fact that, you know, as we were sharing about, you know, our own personal experience for many of our customers, the idea from selling, I was just doing a webinar for a medical device company and they sold really in the hallways of hospitals. And you can imagine how that's, how that's changed so, so dramatically. And so if you think about companies that were 75 or 100% virtual, you know, or 75 or 100%, you know, in person, and now that's shifting to 0% or 25%, it's, it's a dramatic shift. So I think this, the, the content we're, we're going to cover today will be really helpful for virtual sellers because the selling skills that were important in the past are still important, but now the ability to be able to build relationships and sell virtually is, um, is even more important. So yeah, and I think you know it, that's evolved. We're certainly seeing you know reopen plans. We're seeing people figuring out how to to get back into the field, if you will. But we've heard a lot that uh, in some cases it's not going to return to normal, right? Or at least pre-COVID, in the same way. In other words, access may be more limited. Um, in some cases, they're using that to clamp down or or to limit outside uh, vendors coming in you know, both from a security and, and from a, you know, hygiene or health perspective. So I, I think it is more challenging. It's interesting as we see, and wow, this is really fascinating. And I think there's a, a blog here, uh, Norman, to publish. Absolutely. So I think, the, you know, the, the, what we want to share with you today is really what changes in a virtual world as the title implied and as our invitations applied, you know, just, you know, what are some of those skills and techniques you can start to use that really improves that virtual experience and Ray, I know there was a new study that Gartner, we talk about returning to a, to, to, to a new normal, and that new normal is likely to look different. Can you just share what that Gartner research uh, you know, looks like? Yeah, and this is just a, a quick snapshot, but I think it's interesting to look at, which is, you know, this is looking at what trends are happening in the industry in general. And then this was updated, you know, as recently as September, looking at 80% of B2B sales interactions, they're predicting between suppliers and buyers will occur in a digital channel uh, in the next five years. So in other words, looking at how the uh, environment evolves and where we go from here, you know, being able to be conversant, and that's not saying that just like we're saying, I don't think instructor-led training is going away forever, but I think you need to be very cons conversant in training virtually 
and selling the same thing. I think there will still be opportunities to meet in person, and that's still going to be critical for some businesses, you know, where you need to get into the operating room with the doctor and demonstrate uh, a technology or a product, you know, those types of things. But in other cases, um, I think it's going to be more and more virtual. And as Gartner's saying, hey, 80%, that's the trend anyway that we should be planning on and that we need to be very conversant in multilingual, if you will, selling in person and selling virtually. I think that's right. I think we were seeing this trend even pre-COVID. Many, many sales teams had moved towards towards virtual selling. And even those that do you know, a lot of in-person selling, that may be presentations and initial meetings, but just think about how much of the follow-up and how much of the sharing of information can now be done in virtual rooms. So you know, the pendulum isn't going to swing all the way back to where it was before. It's going to be kind of this new normal, and it's going to take more time. I think what we're hearing from the medical community is uh, a vaccine doesn't just put an end to this completely. It's going to take a phase-in approach. And so I think we all have to just get better um, at, at virtual selling and, and used to it. And, and it, it is different. I mean, just think about how much time we spend on our webcams today and what we might have, how comfortable we felt before and how much more comfortable we're probably feeling now. And so I think that we're starting to see that people are getting more comfortable. I want to start with just a little bit about selling skills uh, based mm-hmm. on some research we did. Um, this is some research we did with training industry, and we did this research a couple of years ago, but it was really based on r- skills that were rated very important for sales roles. You can see like identifying customer needs, a critical skill of selling, building relationships, presenting value, you know, closing skills. So this was just kind of a list of what are those top skills, and you can see the percentages, you know, qualifying and uh, you know uh, opportunities, negotiating skills, call planning. And Norman, I think you're right that you know those skills that you showed on the previous slide are as important as ever, and we need to be even more engaging and and we need to think about that virtual environment. So I think that's the operative term. I mean, in here. The term and we have to be good at all those things, but these are consistent. I mean, reaching prospects on the phone, getting a hold of the right uh, decision makers, uh, building relationships over the phone is not as easy as in person. Yep. Uh, not everyone is tech savvy. I was on a call this morning with a company that wasn't that tech savvy, and there were some challenges on their end. We had a Zoom fatigue. We're, we're reading all mm-hmm. about Zoom fatigue. I think uh, we all suffer that. Customers pretend to be too busy, so they're not that interested in engaging. Cold calling challenges. Yeah, prospecting is really, really hard. Ray, anything you're picking up from these? Yeah, I mean, I think there was, there was a comment earlier about, you know, you conduct the demo and then they avoid you. So mm-hmm. that's that's not new in terms of a client ghosting you or not following up. But how are we managing that and managing that ex- expectation and that commitment so that we are getting that next meeting or that that follow-up? So I think these are all blended in with some of those core selling skills that we'll talk about, like good call planning and good follow-up. Yeah. Robert has a really interesting point. He talks about managing objectives, and we're really big on having call objectives and, and call planning, but people may be hazy. They're, they really, you know, there'd be a reluctance to commit because people really are uh, uncertain. And I think, you know, the idea of bonding and building rapport, that whole relationship building is challenging, but I do think some of the things can help the building relationship, building rapport, and some of these other challenges. So excited to continue. And I think we have a recap of just some of the challenges we had. I think most of them are covered here, but let's just go through the ones we had put in our in our presentation. Absolutely. And I'll just cover one other as we move on here from Patty. And she said, you know, how are you going to make contact? And do you have a specific reason? And I think that's an area that we have to think about how we be, you know, ruthlessly relevant or or just even more relevant and adding value for that individual just to get that meeting because you can't just drop by, right? Or you can't just stop in and chat with the receptionist and see if you can get access or drive by the plant, you know, whatever your industry is. Uh, so I think we do. We have to work even harder to understand our value proposition for that individual. And we'll talk about that. You know, I think we've seen some of these challenges. Um, you know, across the board, there's uh, that lack of personal connection, right? So as people said, building rapport and even the value of a handshake, which has been studied and researched and, you know, the the opportunity to make that connection and, and really start that relationship with a firm handshake, you know, I don't know when that's coming back or, or if ever, right, in the same way. So we need to think about how are we replacing or reproducing that connection that happens at that initial contact point? Um, so I think we see that. I think we have distracted uh, buyers. We have distracted sellers, you know, people multitasking, many people 
mentioned Zoom or you know, virtual meeting fatigue. Uh, we have people trying to get their head around the technology and handling that while managing the conversations. So Ray, I know that you've been working and doing a lot of research in this area. And I thought, you know, this idea of the kind of the four E's of selling virtually. And so we have a white paper on the four E's. We're going to talk a little bit about the guide we've produced, but I want to just kind of go through that content. So Ray, do you want to introduce the four E's of, of selling virtually? Yeah, absolutely. And when we talk about it, there there are advantages, right? There are all sorts of reasons to do it. Um, you know, one, we have to, as we said, you know, 75% or more of our meetings are there, but in some ways there are benefits. Um, we got that initially. It's, it's easier to access sometimes to book that meeting instead of having to, uh, fly across the country or drive to that location and get through security and all of those things, you know, it simplifies logistics. Um, we can leverage others on our team, uh, team selling. So we can bring in experts a little bit more easy, easily. Uh, into those meetings, and that can be very valuable. We'll talk about team selling a little bit, and even mo- engaging multiple stakeholders. So, you know, if they're not physically located in the same place, we may be able to get more people together and advance our deal uh, because we can have them join the virtual. I meeting. think this is a really important point. There are, you know, the, the advantages are real. So, although there are certain things we can't do by selling face, or that we used to be able to do, like the handshake selling face to face, this whole idea of efficiency. Being able to pull in teams from across the country to join from a meeting, bringing uh, product, subject matter experts, getting multiple stakeholders, we shouldn't lose sight of this. I think this really ties back to why, you know, in the future, Gartner's predicting that so much uh, is going to happen digitally. I mean, just the ability to use a screen share, pull up relevant samples, those are things you may not always have with you in face-to-face selling. So I do think these advantages are real, but there are also many, many challenges that we also discussed in our in our chat. So with yep. that, Ray, do, should we talk about four E's of, of, of virtual selling? Yeah, let's let's get into that. And you know, I'll I'll uh, just comment on uh, a chat that was brought up about a suggestion. You know, hosting a virtual lunch and learn and having lunch delivered. Or I've seen you know people delivering uh, lunch right. gift cards or things. And you know, we're doing a monthly virtual happy hour, which has been very well attended. So I think there are ways to to cut through that and still engage. And, and we'll talk about some different options. But I appreciate that. Uh, suggestion. And I love the fact that people are sending uh, each other suggestions as we go along. So let me just set this up. Um, Norman, as you said, selling skills haven't changed to the degree that we still need to do those things that we know from our research. If you execute on the fundamentals, uh, you'll perform at a higher level. So those skills we still need to do from booking the first meeting through closing the deal. And in addition to, so back to that and, right, we need to think about our things like our environment and how we've optimized that. We need to think about showing up with energy and excitement to combat some of that Zoom fatigue. We need to think about that connection with the individual. We'll talk about empathy. And finally, how are we engaging since that is a bit more challenging uh, in this world? And uh, so we're going to break those down. This is actually a compilation of a new virtual selling program that we're uh, launching and we've been offering and testing and and refining. Um, so we're giving you, as we said, kind of the sneak peek. And I don't, we're not going to try to teach the course, but we're just going to give you some of the hot points of this 4E model, which I think is an easy way to remember as, all, as well as to have a checklist, right, of what are some of those things that make this a little different. So we're going to start with the first E on environment and thinking about you know video and connecting. And I'm sure we've all had those good or bad impressions. And I'd love to hear uh, some of the stories or thoughts people have about what's made for a either really good or really bad impression on a video call. So what are, what are some of your best practices or some of your horror stories that you've heard? Yeah, really interesting. I mean, a lot, a lot of things can happen on a video. I mean, I have a door open, you know, closed behind me, someone could walk in, uh, all sorts of things happen. I'm sure as we've all started to get Zoom fatigue, we've seen a lot of things. So I'm saying, you know, poor lighting is a distraction. Mm-hmm. Uh, people aren't tech uh, savvy. Background video, trying to keep it really clean. Ray's got a beautiful uh, black screen behind him. I kind of try and keep things uncluttered, but look like I'm in a real environment. So I'm in my den selling from home and presenting from home. So really interesting. Uh, lack of eye contact. So where do you position that webcam? How do you look into the camera? People looking away. People going like this and looking down at their to get their text message. All sorts of things can happen. Uh, dress appropriately. Um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> right? We were talking about that. You know, matching the way your customers dress. You know, if you're going to go and see yeah. them in person, how might you dress? 
uh, face positioning. You know, are you way up, you know, really close to the screen? You know, a lot of different things. So things we don't always think about. Poor Wi-Fi, can't always control that, calls dropping. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ray, what have you seen? I mean, you, you're on this a lot. No, and I think we've all lived through some of these, right? And and we've seen them. And, you know, I think even like the Wi-Fi, I mean, that was one that when we looked at this starting and realized that, uh, you know, we're probably going to be at home for a while. You know, I looked at it, I think it was $10 a month or something to upgrade our infrastructure and get a really big pipe coming into the house because we had three of us working every day here. And so that problem went away. And, you know, there are some simple things like that. And we'll talk about uh, some of the other tips and tricks around technology uh, to make sure we're, con- we're doing this. And I love all of these. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I follow and there was a big discussion on backgrounds, you know, virtual backgrounds, good. What should you have behind you? It's great if you can have some things to make a personal connection, like you have a very inviting office. Uh, behind you, Norman. So I think that's nice. I'm in a spare bedroom that I painted the wall flat gray just so I could have a clean background, but I don't have to worry about whether there's clutter there or the rest of the family uh, (laughs) popping in. So, you know, there are different ways to do that, but I will say that this discussion I heard, um, the, the tendency to use a distracting virtual background, I think was the biggest thing. Like there's some really uh, wild things out there, or if you're fading in and out and you look like you're in the matrix, right? Anything yeah, that, that takes kind of away. ghost appearance where you're kind yeah. of ghosting, you're, you look like you're on the beach in Hawaii, but you're, you're, you're turning into a ghost half the time. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and we got a, a comment on the good side about keeping it interactive, allowing chat and allowing people to talk. I think those are all really good suggestions. So let's keep going. We're going to go through pretty quickly here, but on the environment and some things to think about so each of these is, is kind of a lesson in and of itself, right? We really want to think about optimizing the technology. Have we tested? Do we know how the uh, virtual application works? Have we really explored some of the edges of it? I mean, I know that's something we did. We put together a virtual guide for our sellers and our trainers uh, to really know the ins and outs because we're using multiple platforms, sometimes Zoom, sometimes our clients are using Teams or other technology but you know, just investing that hour or two to really understand the ins and outs and how it works um, so you're not fumbling around. We talked a little bit about background, and I think that's something, it's, it's personal and everybody's situation is different, but at least spending a little bit of time to do that. Yeah. And the one thing I will say on that is with your video, one really simple hack is just in your start window on, uh, if you're using a Windows device, just type in webcam. You can do that at any time and it brings up that webcam and it shows you what you look like. So before you open up the room and you're fumbling around with your customer there, test out your webcam and check your hair, check your background, see if there's clutter behind you, see what your lighting looks like. You know, you can always bring that up and just test it out. Let me, Go ahead, let me Norman, share an example of that. Saying? I was on a call this morning on a platform I'd never been on and I got in a few minutes early, also good practice, tested the webcam. And I felt that it wasn't using my external webcam. It was using a really poor quality webcam was the default from your laptop. So when you're going into the situation and you're using a platform you haven't used before, it's always good to check your webcam. But if you have more than one, particularly if you invest in a really good webcam, you're going to find that quite often different platforms will default to your, to your laptop. So I just had that happen this morning. So I have kind of a real world example to share on that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're going to talk about appearance. So, yeah, I think, uh, Thinking about our uh, how we're showing up, thinking about what we look like, the camera placement, and you know, there's a lot that's been uh, published and studied and looked at. If you if you follow, um, you know, kind of the Hollywood practices, but they they say a good actor will speak to and perform to the camera, right? And so we need to find where that webcam is. We need to remember that if we're looking at the webcam, we're essentially looking into the person's eyes. If we're looking at the corner at their thumbnail or looking at our other monitor, right, that's going to look distracting and we've lost that personal connection. We need to work really hard to do everything we can to make that connection. Find out where your webcam is. And the other thing I'll say is get the webcam up at eye level so it's like you're looking across the table or, or across the room at that person and not you know, the webcam is down below and it's looking up your chin or up your nose and it's frankly not a very flattering look or you know, some other positioning that uh, really distorts you if you're too close to the camera. So you know, play around with that and, and test it out. 
Great. I think, you know, a couple other things, just think about the audio quality, you know, get a really good quality uh, headset quite often, especially if there's background noise. You know, I had my gardeners here this morning, could hear the engines running with a nice good uh, headset. You can kind of avoid those type of distractions, background noise, uh, other people are working uh, in your home or where you're working from. Uh, so audio quality is important, just like the webcam. These are really the attire you're bringing with you. When you think about your appearance today, it's not just your physical appearance or what shirt you're wearing or how you're dressing. It gets to your background. It gets to your uh, audio quality. It gets to the placement of your video. So you can really control a lot of the environment. The other thing I'll say is sometimes there are things outside of your control, and you have to learn to adjust. There's always going to be some kind of glitched on technology that comes up, probably at the most inopportune time. But you have to remember, this is the environment we're in. You're not there alone. Do everything you can within your control. And if something isn't going right, don't stress about it. Just acknowledge it and try and fix it when you can. Ray, any other thoughts about environment before we go to the next D on energy? Well, I, I think you're right, Norman. I think people are pretty forgiving. And we know that you know if the kids end up in the background or the dog, you know, introduce them, laugh, move on, kind of assume some of that's going to happen. But those things that are in our control, you know, I think we should take take the opportunity to, you know, make sure the door's closed or maybe there's a do not disturb sign on or whatever those things are. This is your chance to make that great impression and that connection. And so, you know, I think we need to work really hard to do everything we can uh, to optimize that. And appearance, you know, which came up earlier, but I, I use the analogy, if you were flying across the country and meeting with that executive in their corner office, how would you dress? How would you show up? What would your appearance be like? And my guess is you wouldn't show up in a t-shirt and a backwards ball cap. Yet there's so many meetings we've seen from our clients and seen with customers where that's kind of the work from home uh, attire for a lot of people. I'm fine being casual, but as you said, Norman, think about what your customer's wearing. And I was always trained, you know, think a level above even. So if you're selling at a director level, how do the VPs typically dress or how would you want to make that impression and come across? I think we need to match that. I think it, it, it does make a difference. And I will just add to that. I know we want to move on to the next subject, but we're getting yeah. really good tips in the chat. Uh, you know, yeah. be okay with silence. So when you're on a webcam and you pose a question, don't feel like you have to fill the airtime. It's okay to pause. See if some responses say, okay, well, you know, let's let's come back to that and let's move on if you're not getting response. But it's okay to pause and to listen. And really important that there may be delays, particularly as you're selling virtually, there can be a delay. So make sure to give an extra minute, extra couple of seconds before you just try and fill the the airtime. So thank you for the tip. Yeah, no, and some of these we're going to get back to too uh, in terms of uh, you know, active listening and, and engaging. And there was a question about, you know, how do you engage multiple people? And I think there, there are definitely some great things you could do because you do, you want to keep people engaged as you go along, but let's keep moving here. Um, got a couple more ease to get through, but I want to talk about energy. And, and before we dive into that again, um, I'll just ask, and we talked a little bit about, you know, things like zoom fatigue, but why is it important to show up with, with energy, you know, maybe more important now than ever, and, and why, why should we be thinking about that when we're hosting these virtual meetings? So- yeah, you want to make the meeting interesting. People are on a lot of Zoom meetings. Make Engage early. Make sure it's really upbeat. So what are you doing to really create that kind of upbeat uh, to it? I think when it's easy, I was watching a Zoom for a nonprofit. The speaker had a really great information, but it was flat. It really didn't have any interest. There wasn't energy. Uh, ask people to come on video from the outset. Really, we're going to get to that later, but that's a really mm-hmm. great point. Get people to engage with their cameras. Typically, if you have your camera on, they're more likely. Um, other ideas, Ray, you're probably reading some of these too. Someone said, yeah. own your role as a host. We're going to talk about meeting management. Yeah, and again, a lot of these we would want to do in person, but mm-hmm. now because we know in a lot of cases, and we hear it from our clients, you know, they're on eight, 10 hours of Zoom meetings or virtual meetings all day long, they're going from meeting to meeting. They don't really get a break. And then we're showing up to us. It's the most important meeting of the day, but we need to kind of, you know, build that up or re-energize and uh, take every opportunity we can to set the tone, right? That this is exciting, that we do want to engage. And I think we're fighting the multitasking. We're fighting the technology. We're fighting the Zoom fatigue. So I think it's more important than ever that, that we show up with that energy. And I think it's true. And we see it in in-person meetings, but it, it applies in uh, virtual meetings as well. Energy translates to your being interested in your clients. 
So that energy shows that you're generally, it's not just a energy, but it's an excitement and a kind of a passion for what you're doing. Again, not easy on Zoom, but Ray's going to share with us some tips to really bring that energy onto our calls. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, some of these may seem obvious, but having a checklist or even reminding ourselves uh, to do that, you know, I have a standing desk in my office and Mm -hmm. for webinars and important client meetings, I like to stand up. And there's good research that suggests that, right? That if you stand up, you're going to be a little more animated. You're going to have a chance to move a little bit more. And again, if we were in the boardroom presenting to those executives, we'd probably be up in the front of the room presenting, I mean, depending on the meeting. But I think just that opportunity doesn't have to be a a big expensive stand-up desk. You can, you know, put your laptop up on a riser. You can, uh, lots of different ways to to, uh, accommodate that. But having the opportunity to stand up smile and engage and even moving beforehand. So we'll talk about uh, below there, it talks about taking breaks and moving and also before a meeting, you know, if you've been on three, four hours of meetings, well, make sure you block in that 15 minutes, maybe get outside, get a little sunlight, maybe move around. We have one of our colleagues uh, at SRG has the mini trampoline, right? And, And we've all gone in there and used it because Boy, there's nothing like moving for a few minutes to get your blood pumping and and kind of re-energize yourself. Right. So, we do we do some videotaping, yeah. and I know that a lot of lawyers, our host today, wants me to jump on the uh, trampoline for a few minutes when we're all in the office together, even before we shot a video. So this idea of just getting some movement, getting some energy, don't feel like you're stuck to your chair all day. Use a stand-up desk, move around. Ray Ray does a lot of that. It's it's really good and it's really important. What else, Ray? Yeah. Well, I think. Um, as Jason mentioned, even selling on the phone, a smile is contagious. You can hear it, you can feel it. And so it, it's funny just putting yourself in that mindset. And before you pick up the phone or before you engage in that virtual meeting, just make it a point to smile. And again, if you're testing out your webcam, bring up your webcam and just you know, say, is this person engaging and exciting and somebody that I'd want to have a meeting with? Um, so I think that's actually uh, r- really helpful. Um, you know, the, getting getting outside, breaking up our day. I mean, I think we're all figuring out how to work in this new environment and the work from home, but I think there are just some kind of health and hygiene things you can do um, to improve that. And also, and I have to point out the scheduling, I think it's easier these days to overschedule ourselves. And we end up with only a few minutes between meetings. And those may be super important meetings, but yet we're running to the next one. And you know, I think back to if we had to drive across town or fly across the country, we'd have a break. We'd be thinking about that meeting. We'd have our head in the game. But if we're just popping open a new virtual meeting room and haven't given ourselves a break, um, I don't think we're, we're bringing our best game. So well, I also you know, think that the that break has, has another benefit. So number one, it's great to just break and give yourself a little bit of chance to kind of re-energize between meetings. Typically, try and give yourself you know 15 or 30 minutes between meetings so you're not running back to back. But particularly for selling, it has another benefit, which is it allows you to really reflect on the call you had, make notes. If you said you're going to send some things, you don't have to wait till the end of the day. So if you can kind of give yourself a half hour between sales meetings, you can then recap and say, what are the most important things I learned? Start to begin to craft an email, or if you don't have time to get an email and the materials off, at least make notes so you're not blending from one meeting to the next without really thinking about what is that plan for follow-up? Because follow-up is so critical to virtual selling. It's, it's, it's critical even for face-to-face selling, but being able to follow up. So the benefit of that little break time between meetings allows you not only to recharge and refresh, but also allows you to kind of just recap what you just covered in your, in your prior meeting. That's great. Yeah. And I think people may say, oh, well, we don't have time or how do you, how do you, you know, schedule that? And I think we, we should just plan and think about that accordingly. You know, maybe, maybe we have to schedule out a, a few days or, or think about that. But there's a quick um, question yeah, I want to clarify, which is sure. is the break feasible? I'm thinking the break is between meetings with different sets of customers, not necessarily yeah. a break during the same customer. Uh, for long training problems, we often run, we will put a break and that break is built in. But if you're in a sales meeting, we're not suggesting a break during the middle of the sales meeting. We're suggesting if you're you know calling on customer A and then you have another call with customer B, trying to allow at least a half an hour between calls to kind of recap and and refresh. Yeah, and I think that's a good good clarification. So let's continue on. You know, one of the other interesting areas, and and I think this is a little bit more subtle, um, but it's about bringing empathy, showing up with empathy, and and really demonstrating empathy uh, today. 
uh, on those virtual calls. Norman, maybe you can talk about you know a little bit your perspective and and why is this coming up and why do you think it's important? I think it's 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 really important right now. It's about virtual selling caused by a global pandemic, and and it's very different. Virtual selling, you know, if we think about many of our tech companies, they've been selling virtually for years. They've got teams of people who sell. Uh, you know, historically they were selling out of office buildings or, you know, or corporate offices. Now they're selling from their homes. So it's not just about virtual selling, although many of the things we're, we're, we're sharing apply. But this notion of empathy is that this pandemic is affecting people's lives in, in very serious ways. It's creating health challenges for families. Maybe they have elderly relatives. At this point, many of us know someone who's been at least uh, contracted, uh, you know, COVID, maybe even even worse. We also have to think about what are the implications in terms of child care, elderly care, our own personal lives, working from home. Many places people you know, might have uh, two people working out of very tight conditions right now just due to personal circumstances. So it's not just virtual selling. It's virtual selling as a result of pandemic that is having a ripple effect on people's lives in very profound ways. And so I think really understanding that, you know, Ray mentioned, well, if, you know, I don't have young children at home, but if that door Open. I was on a call yesterday where someone was saying they had to stop the call. Their kids had gotten into something. They had really young toddlers. Their kids had gotten into some kind of mischief. We have to understand mm-hmm. that. We can't be upset by that. That's just the reality that we're in. If someone says, hey, I've got to stop for a minute. This is going on in the background. Uh, you know, someone is having a bad day. It, it, may be, it may not be you as a seller. probably isn't. It's nothing you've done. They may just have personal circumstances so the idea is to be empathetic. You know, we've got a little definition up here. We're not talking really about sympathy. People aren't looking for sympathy from their salespeople. They're also not looking for us to be, um, you know, to, to be their 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 counselor or their therapist. Mm-hmm. But they are looking for us for understanding. And so this empathy is is really key. And it was a major topic in a in a um, program that I did earlier this week. And I think we asked a very similar question. That we're going to ask now. So why is empathy so important? Because when you think about selling, you know, and you look at our core selling skills, the research we did, empathy wasn't one of them, but but mm-hmm. it's important now. So just uh, open up the group and Ray, your thoughts on this. I mean, you obviously included this as one of the four E's. Why, mm-hmm. why, why right now? And I think you covered a, uh, a number of key aspects, but I think one of the things that we realized and, and have run into is just how different people are being impacted. And so understanding where they are and where their company is can really help us make that connection, help us be more tuned in and and prepared for that conversation. And so again, are they struggling, you know, with uh, a work from home situation with kids at home? We have some clients who, you know, are reducing headcount and others are having their best year ever and can't keep up. So where are they in that uh, spectrum and how can we be prepared? So I think empathy is a a core skill or or a, a core trait that we should look for anytime. But again, in the virtual world, we need to do those things that can even uh, improve that connection. Because we're all experiencing the same thing. And so that commonality and experience, when we think about you know social networks like LinkedIn, you're looking for common backgrounds, common experiences. This is giving us a way to connect right away. So if someone says, yeah, it's been really challenging. My kids are at home. You might say, hey, well, you know, I've got my kids at home too. Or if you don't say, yeah, yeah you know, my, 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 my best friend next door is in the same situation. I can kind of see how that really impacts them every single day. So the, it, it actually helps you build a better relationship. So empathy becomes one of the skills we can use right now to help develop common interests, common situation. And that's one of the keys to, to, to building uh, better relationships. Absolutely. You know, and, and Neil mentioned he's still waiting to come across empathetic buyers. And I think, you know, sometimes our, 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 it's not reciprocated, right? Or customers don't, uh, don't really have that empathy on the other side. I think is one of these is, this is one of those areas where you really have to be the go-giver, right? You have to pay it forward and say, well, no, I'm going to do my best to understand their situation, to make sure we're accommodating that, we're paying attention, and they may or may not reciprocate, but it's going to position us better and also help us make that connection. Um, you can't necessarily expect that it's going to uh, come back immediately. So, Norman, let's talk about some of those ways that you can demonstrate empathy. And you know, certainly there are other uh, ideas, but I thought this was good. Um, what do you think in terms of uh, how you demonstrate? Well, I think you want to do your research. You really want to understand how their business is doing. Is your business uh, reducing staff? What's going on in their industry? Certain industries is 
Ray mentioned are doing really very, very well. Technology, some of the medical companies, you have other industries where, you know, if you're in transportation like airlines or hospitality or foods, you know, or, or restaurants, those are doing very poorly. So you really want to understand the professional situation. You can learn a lot about their personal situation just in terms of having conversation with them. You can leverage mutual connections that you might have. I think, you know, Ray mentioned briefly the virtual happy hour that he and uh, some of our team are putting together. And we're actually bringing together customers from different companies, not necessarily competitive to each other, but they're in the situ- same situation. And now we're allowing them to share with their peers what's going on, asking open-ended questions. So when you, you know, if you just ask, you know, how, how's everything going, you know, you might, it's kind of an empty question, but if you go a little bit beyond that. He has really started thinking. So, you know, I'm just curious on a personal basis, you know, how has COVID impacted you? Then you're going to probably get a little bit more, Hey, you know, it really hasn't been so bad for me. You know, I've been working from home for the last couple of years. So you're going to hear different things and a key skill may be more important than, and harder on, on, on a, on a virtual platform is the idea of active listening and active mm-hmm. listening means putting away your, your cell phone. I was starting to get some texts during the middle of this. I flipped it over. I didn't want to see them. Yeah. I, they'll, they'll be there when I'm done. Making sure you're really tuning into what people are saying, tuning into the chat. The chat is a way of people communicating today, reading what they say, using their names, listening, um, really important today. And also going back and paraphrasing. So, hey, you know, if, I, if I'm understanding you correctly, it sounds like your company really isn't doing a lot right now in terms of new investment. Your priorities have really been around X, Y, and Z. So simply paraphrasing, not repeating, but paraphrasing what you heard is a great way to demonstrate those active listening skills. Ray, anything else you would add to that? Well, I, th- I think this is a, a really important slide and it's certainly not easy and it's, it's, it's really hard to say, okay, we'll just do these things and it's great. But, but even just changing that mindset about, I really want to understand where that person is and where are they coming from? And, you know, we have the three things, but it's like, if you could take five minutes and, and, and find out three things about that person, whether it's through LinkedIn, you know, maybe you do a little bit of research, maybe you talk to a coach or advocate, somebody else who knows them that help you, even if you don't use that in the conversation, but it helps you understand that person. Where did they come from? What was in their background? What did they study? What are their interests? It, it helps you understand a bit more about them. And I think you can tune into that. And it can be very effective. This isn't about manipulation. This is really about understanding so that you can serve them better. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just say that, that that research is important, you know, in, in certainly kind of in the situation we find ourselves in today. But, you know, people have their different views on, you know, what's the most important selling skill. And I can't necessarily say one most important, but for me, always at the top of the list is call planning. And so by doing an effective call planning, we're doing our research anyhow. And then we're making sure we have very, very clear objectives for that call. Something we're going to touch on in just a minute. So I do think the research is part of a really good call plan where you're understanding who you're speaking to, what's their current situation professionally, today a little bit also what's going on personally, and then making sure that you have really clear call objectives so that we can manage the call. So Ray, let's get into the last one, which is it's hard. How do we engage people? You know, people can tune us out. People can shut off their webcam. People can start checking their text messages. What are some of the best practices for engaging customers? Yeah. And again, a lot of these things, this is the fourth E, right, around engagement. A lot of these things we would want to be doing in any good uh, sales call, right? Preparing for a meeting or a sales call. But we want to be very thoughtful and we want to think about that in our virtual world even more so. Because as many people mentioned, you know, just asking open-ended or, or asking questions isn't enough. So I think creating that call plan, and this links to other skills we teach in our uh, other sales programs, but having that call plan that not only identifies what it is that we're trying to accomplish, but what do we expect the customer to do as a result of this call? And I think if we can change that objective to be uh, from their perspective, at the end of the call, the customer is going to make a commitment to review our proposal or is going to make a commitment to introduce us to their boss or is going to share some budget numbers, whatever that is, right? So I think it's even more important to have a clear call call plan so that we can manage and we know where we're headed. And then, you know, some of the other things just to manage this engagement and conversation, got the suggestion up front when we started about using video and encouraging our customers to do the same. And we get that question all the time about, well, but what if they don't want to, or how do we get them to 
and look, everybody's coming from a different situation and they may not be in a place where, where they can turn their video on or, or feel comfortable doing that. But I find that, you know, nine times out of 10, if we start the call and turn our video on these days, they'll turn theirs on as well. People are much more comfortable. They've kind of figured out that that's uh, the way we're going to converse. Um, so I would just do it. And even if they don't turn theirs on, uh, I would, you know, keep yours on, uh, show your face. It's a chance to build that connection, you know, smile and greet them when they join the room. If there are multiple people, you're calling them out, you know, managing it a bit like you would uh, a, a training session or, or engaging them that way. We talked about, you know, avoiding distractions, turning off the alerts, the pop-ups, the silencing the phone. And then it, it's more than just asking open-ended questions, but really having an engagement strategy of what are you, where do you need their input? And how are you going to ask that more than just, does that make sense? Or have I ans answered all your questions? Because we're not going to get a lot from those. But if we think about the future and say, well, help me understand if you were to implement a solution like this, what challenges might you incur? Or how would you see this fitting in your environment? You know, What pushback would you get? So you really start to engage them and force them right, to participate because um, I think that's going to make for a more meaningful discussion as we go along. Any other thoughts on this, uh, Norman? Well, I think the last one I just want to touch on is agree on next steps. And this got to the point I was making earlier about maybe allowing a little bit of time. We should have, so if you think about the first and the last bullet, they tie very closely together. So you're going to have some objectives going into that call, what it is you want to accomplish. Obviously, you're going to use some of these techniques and the sign skills that we've all learned over the years to have a really engaging conversation. But did we achieve our objectives? And again, the objectives, as Ray said, should be customer-driven. As a result of this call, the customer will do X, Y, and Z. They may or, we may or may not have achieved those objectives. We should do what we can in a very professional way to kind of keep the call on track. Then we have to kind of sum up and really think, well, what are the next steps based on this call? And making sure that there is some action that you can recap. So, hey, you know what? Let's let's try and get back together on a, on a call next week. What's your schedule like look like? I want to get back to you with a question yet on pricing or on, on the warranty or some other aspect. So make sure that you're tying your objectives with next steps and not just you know running right to the deadline. Because if you run to the deadline, which I mean the end of the call, people are going to say, hey, I've got to go. I've got another call coming. Because people are, despite the 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 um, advice we're offering, you know, our customers <laughs> right. and many of us are forced, like today, I will be going pretty much back to back. I do have a call at the top of the hour. And so don't let the call get timed out. Try and make sure that you're finishing five or 10 minutes before the call ends. So you can really recap next steps, find out what their priorities are and agree on a follow-up strategy. No, I think that that's really important. And, you know, one of the things we get frustrated and we get frustrated with our clients as well, where you finish a great call, you say, how did it go? They say, oh, it was fantastic. They really love us. And you're like, great. Well, so what's happening now? Oh, well, we're going to follow up by email. And then three weeks later, we're still in the same position. So, you know, let's, let's leave that time. Let's have that question in mind and let's know what the ask is before we go in. Again, some of these are call planning, but they're uh, steps that we would normally want to execute, but it's even more important in this virtual conversation. So let me just cover the last area on this. The other thing that virtual allows us to do that I do think is an opportunity for us is to better engage in team selling. And what I mean is now we're able to bring that technical expert, maybe that uh, higher senior level person who wouldn't have been able to attend in person, but you can bring them into the call. Um, you can leverage other resources. But let's make sure that everybody's on the same page, literally, and review that call plan. You know, what are we trying to accomplish? What are the objectives? What are the roles and responsibilities? So are we joint selling? Are people taking different parts of the agenda? If the manager's on, is this a coaching call or is this a joint selling call? Because there are very different outcomes that we're looking for there. And what we don't want is the manager to then just jump in and take over, right? Talk about riding to the rescue. Um, so let's make sure we clarify that in advance. And then somebody is moderating or facilitating, doing the introductions, calling people out, getting them engaged, and, and kind of orchestrating that uh, so that we're leveraging that effectively. And we talk about the three-second rule, but you know, somebody mentioned that. Sometimes you kind of have to bite your tongue, right? If you ask a question, we should put it out there and then stop long enough for the customer to really process and respond 
instead of we're jumping right ahead and then we've lost that golden opportunity to really hear what they think. So I think there are lots of different ways we can moderate that. But even more important, when we have multiple people from our side on that call that may be so anxious to jump in and share their expertise that nobody gets a chance to get a word in edgewise. Now, one thing I would add to this is that team selling has a lot of advantages. You can bring in a lot of people with different expertise from your team. I think one of the key things to think about is when I think about an effective call, Ray gave one element of the effective call, which is what's the continuance? What's the next step? So not, we just had a great call. The other aspect I look for is how much of the participation was from the client or from the customer. And so when your team's selling, it's really important to engage the customer to make sure that at least half of the time, hopefully 70% of the time is spent in a listening mode. And I think that's a challenge when you have multiple resources from your company particularly if you have less resources on the client side, you may end up dominating the call because you have four or five people from your company on the call with you. So just make sure you're giving, again, through open-ended questions, situational questions, that you're really engaging the customer and not feeling this need that you that every person has to take. If you have four people on a call and every one of them takes 10 minutes, You've only allowed 20 minutes for your customer. So mm. make sure that everyone who's involved, when you clarify the roles and responsibilities, that each one of the participants has at least some way to engage the customer and not turn it into a broadcast, but really into, I think someone used the word earlier, and I love the word, a sales conversation. Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great point. And I think one of the other factors that we've seen very successfully used is uh, being able to chat offline. And again, you don't want to distract and, and it takes a little bit of uh, practice to be able to do that without losing the train of thought. But I know we do it quite extensively using a separate chat to communicate. If there's a question, I don't want to jump in, but I'd say, hey, by the way, I'd love to know this, or maybe we could ask about. And I think it's just there and you have to be you know, a little bit flexible, but I think it's a great way to do kind of real, some real-time coaching, again, without over uh, like driving from the back seat but to be able to provide some input or collaborate. I will say the thing to test with that is make sure you know where that's going to show up. And then if you're sharing a whole screen, you don't have this chat popping up with notifications. And there are great, easy ways to do that if you're using multiple monitors or just turning those notifications off. Uh, But I think it can be a very effective way to collaborate uh, offline during those calls. And and just one technique around that, if you're using a private chat, just as a ground rule, kind of keep the chats really short and on topic. Because what you don't want to do is take away someone's focus from the primary meeting, which is really on the customer. So try and use it in a way that it's short, clear, and effective, and not just kind of a, a transcript of all the of, of thoughts that could be distracting. No, that's great. Um, all right. So let's uh, kind of summarize here. But what we've tried to do is, is really capture the best practices, uh, our own experience over the years, and also what we've been working with our clients on. Put that into a way that's not just saying, well, let's put virtual on the front of the key selling skills that we're already teaching, because they're great courses to do that. And and in fact, people are getting training on their selling skills. But what's different and what should we really focus on? And and maybe we need to do a tune-up or we need to do a little bit of work extra work, right, to make this more appealing, especially if we think about this as a growing area, it's going to continue to be important. As we know, um, you know, nobody's quite sure when we're getting back out into the field in a more meaningful way or what that looks like, you know, kind of industry by industry. So what we've done is we've tried to capture this information. We have a virtual selling guide and there'll be a link to download this. Uh, You'll get a a copy of the call recording, but it's a a quick synopsis of this. And as we said, we're uh, offering this as a virtual training program as well. So it's something that we can walk through. What they get is that training, that virtual guide and workbook, as well as a very simple checklist, right? That just says, hey, these are some things that you should think about following those four E's uh, prior to setting up your calls or prior to having that most important meeting of the quarter, right? Well, here's a quick reminder of things you might want to think about and some activities during the training, right? To optimize your environment, to test out your video and your audio and and get a chance to practice some of those skills. So we just wanted to offer that. But Norman, thank you very much. Really enjoyed uh, the collaboration and uh, and being able to share some of these thoughts. And again, I think as Ray mentioned, this is really an and. The selling skills that were important before are still really important, maybe more important now than ever, 
But in addition, those skills, just kind of techniques related to virtual selling can add a lot and make people feel a lot more confident in, in how they're selling and using those skills. So Alonzo, we'll turn it back to you, but we'd also love to field any questions anyone might have or follow up offline if you want to reach us based on the contact info. So Alonzo, thank you and back to you. Thank you, Norman. And a question is, how do you close on such virtual meetings? Negotiating would be difficult since you don't really get that personal touch. Yeah, and I think there are really two questions. I'll take a stab at that, Norman. But you know, closing out on a virtual meeting, I, I think we should think about that as part of our call plan. What do we expect to happen? What are we going to ask for? And what's the next step? Are we booking that meeting? Are we sending a, a proposal and having a review? So I think we need to be very clear And then absolutely, negotiating is more difficult uh, in that type of an environment. But I think what we need to do is schedule those sessions to say, well, let's get all those issues out. Let's make sure we have an agenda that highlights those areas we need to get into and do our call planning, or as we talk about in our negotiation class, our negotiation planning. Uh, so we know how are we going to work through those? What are the potential options, trades, you know, responses? And at the end of that, we want to get to a contract. So who needs to be involved so that we can actually get the decision? So I think it goes back to some of the call planning. Uh, and then we need to just break that meeting up so that we're trying to accomplish the objectives we've laid out. Right. The other point I would make in the negotiation is really we've established in the call a lot of common interests. So really making sure we can, before we get to what areas we need to resolve that are open, what is it we've already agreed to? So that gets really into that next steps in our call plan. So let's find out all the areas of common interest, and then we can also just figure out, okay, what's open, get them to agree, yes, these are the open issues. And then you've actually got a work plan. You can say, okay, we, here's the issues we've agreed to that are still open. Alonzo, so it looks like we have a, another question. Do both parties need the same video software? Oh, I, this is very tech. Okay. Mm -hmm. You have well, an answer? And I think the good news is, um, the short answer is no. And mostly, if you have a working video camera and you can access that app, then you're able to uh, collaborate uh, in the platform. I think it used to be much more often where you had to download a bunch of plugins and there were apps that you had to install that made it more difficult. Uh, but I think that's become a lot easier and a, a smaller footprint, right, as we say. And the other thing I'll mention is because people are using Zoom with their kids, with their families, with their grandkids or the teams or whatever that environment we're running into far fewer issues with people being able to connect along the way. The market is changing, making sales skills more important than ever before. How to transform your team into big performers? If you want the answer, plus free resources for podcast listeners, visit salesreadinessgroup.com slash podcast. <laughs>